This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey y'all, Ryan Sprague here. As you all know, the Somewhere in the Skies podcast is always free to consume, but it isn't free to create. That's why I've started the Somewhere in the Skies Patreon campaign. On a monthly basis, you give what you think the show is worth. You'll be helping the show continue, grow, and to be something truly communal. And remember, there are rewards for each level of contribution, and the list is only growing. So please, help Somewhere in the Skies now by becoming a patron. To contribute and to learn more, visit www.patreon.com backslash somewhere skies. Thank you for your support. And now, on with the show. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this episode of Somewhere in the Skies are solely that of the guest and host, and do not reflect those of the E1 Podcast Network or of our sponsors. You are hope. You are imagination. You are the power to change, to create, and to grow. You are a spirit that will never die. And no matter how beaten down, you will rise again. Scientology. Know yourself. Know life. Just really horrible, uh, physically and and verbally abusive. I've seen Sierra members get into fights. I saw them beat up an old man because he refused to do an all nighter one night, which happens a lot. Wow. Sierra members stay up all night and do these crazy things because they have to meet their deadlines and they have to do it because if their statistics are down from the previous week, then it's all over. Then they go get sent to ethics and they're punished for it. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague. I'm Ryan Sprague, and this is Somewhere in the Skies. Scientology, one of the most successful new American faiths to have emerged in the past century. At its core, it is a belief that each human has a reactive mind that responds to life's traumas, clouding the analytic mind and keeping us from experiencing reality. Members of the religion submit to a process called auditing to find the sources of this trauma, reliving those experiences in an attempt to neutralize them and reassert the primacy of the analytic mind, working toward a spiritual state called clear. 
As you climb the bridge to spiritual freedom, you pledge allegiance to the church above all else, working towards helping mankind and awakening the world. But somewhere along the way, it became very clear that this church was hiding very dark and disturbing stories behind the walls of its international churches. And as time progressed, more and more members began to speak out about its wrongdoings and practices, and the results have been absolutely terrifying. Today we hear from ex-member Joey Chait. Born into the religion by his devout parents, Joey became one of Scientology's most prominent members, and then it all came crashing down when he decided to leave the church. And it wasn't easy. Today Joey runs us through how it all began for him. He also breaks down the religion for us, its strange creation story, what he endured in and outside of the church, and just exactly why he left and is urging others to do the same. This is a two-part series covering one man's struggle with faith, sexuality, allegiance, and finally, starting a new life. Here is part one of Breaking the Billion-Year Contract of Scientology with Joey Chait. Joey, thank you so much for joining me today on Somewhere in the Skies. Thank you so much for having me. This is like been a really long time in the making, man. Yeah, I feel like it's been almost a year since the last time I saw you that we were talking about this. Yeah, yeah, it, it has literally been almost a year, and it was it was interesting. So, for those who don't know, I was working in a coffee shop in LA, Coffee for Sasquatch. So, if anyone's in the Hollywood slash Fairfax area, go check them out. That's my shameless plug <laughs> for my old <laughs> place of employment. But you you were one of our regulars, and I always saw you in the corner, kind of scribbling in a notebook, writing, and I'm like, oh, he's one of those writers. He's one of those guys who comes in, does his work, and I love it. I love seeing people doing their stuff there, man. And um, So so typical for LA. It is. It is. It is in New yeah. York, too, but in LA, everyone's in the business, whether you, oh, yeah. you know it or not. And also, there's a lot of Scientologists, which we will get to in LA, whether you know it or not. Um, but I'm getting ahead of myself here. So I talked to one of my fellow employees, and they'd informed me that you were a former member of the Church of Scientology. And I was like, Oh, my God, I was like, I would love to interview him. I, I've, I've never spoken to a an ex Scientologist before. So I was really excited to talk to you, a little nervous, I'm not going to lie, but <laughs> yes. after actually meeting you, I was like, he's, he's, he's just a normal guy who, who was a part of this thing. So thank you again for doing this and uh, for ostensibly telling us stories that um, a lot of us don't know about, things that have happened in the church and whatnot. So again, there's our origin story, but I got to ask you, man, what is your your origin story. How did you get involved with Scientology? Um, there's a big misconception out there of, oh, these people are so stupid if they're recruited into this religion, but it was a lot different for you. So how'd this all start? Well, I was born into it. I'm a, what they call a second generation Scientologist. So my parents got into it back in the 70s, in the early 70s before I was born. And they got suckered into it. And then by the time I was born and by the time my two younger brothers were born, they were already fully indoctrinated into Scientology. So I, it, it was basically the religion that I was raised with. I didn't really have a choice in the matter. Mm -hmm. um, they, they did, which was 
stupid. So I, I, I ended up suffering for their mistakes, which most kids do, especially when it comes to religions or cults. Absolutely. I mean, we can all yeah. attest, you know, whether, uh, I mean, I was born and raised Roman Catholic, and I also had no choice in the matter. And, you right. know, the, the older you get, that's when you sort of, you know, it's either sink or swim. Do I keep going or, or what? You know, um, there, there's a lot of pressure when you're a young kid growing up in a religion, as I'm sure it was with this as well, whether it is a cult or not. So yeah, I mean, I, I did ask for listener questions for this episode. And a lot of people okay. are like, how could you, how could you join this this religion? Like, how, after everything we've learned, how could someone join? And I... I answered that for you on, on yeah. your behalf, saying he was born into it. So a lot of people don't yeah. have that choice. So And I didn't have that choice, unfortunately. And the thing that a lot of people um, don't realize about Scientology is that every facet of your life, especially when you're in the family of Scientologists and from a famous Scientology family who donated a lot of money, everything is already decided for you. And mm. you don't really have a choice, whether it has to do with your finances your personal life, your work, everything surrounds the Church of Scientology. And when you grow up in a in a in a in a sort of environment like that, you get brainwashed. And that's exactly what happens to me. And you become so brainwashed into thinking like they do and talking like they do. Scientologists have their own language. We have abbreviations for everything. Hubbard, I believe, was a very dyslexic and uneducated man, and mm. he takes he 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 loved to take regular English words and put weird twists on them to make them mean different things. So, like, I will be talking in my Scientology speak to like my my uh, fiance Michael, and I'll say something a regular English word, and he'll look at me and be like, "I'm sorry, wait, what did you just say?" Because it because <laughs> it it's not real English. It grammatically doesn't make any sense. So. After I started, you know, sort of waking up and uh, realizing that Scientology was complete and utter bullshit, I had to relearn the language and like actually learn what the actual definitions of some of these regular words mean. So that's wow. how that's how 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 um, I guess the I guess the right word is brainwash. You just get so indoctrinated into the thing you have to literally wake up and pull yourself out of it. It's crazy. Yeah. So I mean, would you? Would you consider that then like a deprogramming? We hear about this a lot when people are brainwashed in in what is considered cults. Um, it, how long did it take to really, I guess, it took deprogram years. yourself? Okay. Years, 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 years. It 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 wasn't a thing. And uh, the, one of the biggest questions that people ask me is like, when was that aha moment, or when was that moment when you woke up? And mm -hmm. I'm like, there wasn't really an exact moment it's sort of like um it's like a slow burn it takes years of just of, of 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 just slowly coming out of it and then slowly realizing it and then eventually you get to the point where you're i i it it, it, it it's almost like climbing over a fence except just very very slowly <laughs> it takes a while you got to climb up one by one and then you get to the top and then you slowly come down the other side but eventually, I made it there. Thank God. Exactly. Yeah. I'm I'm so happy that we're having this conversation today. Me too. Um, mm -hmm. Well, I mean, okay. So I don't know how anyone couldn't really know what Scientology is at this point. You know, the glory of the internet, the glory of television. Yes. But for anyone who might not be too familiar, Joey, I'm going to sort of ask you: Could you give us? 
kind of the rundown of what Scientology is. You mentioned yeah. Hubbard, so who started it, and kind of the overall mission of the religion. Maybe I, yes. I, I don't know if that's even possible to do in like no, an is. elevator yeah, pitch, it's... but yeah, please. Well, yeah. Um, I can give you the 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 quick two minute version. So, um, a guy named L. Ron Hubbard, who was a science fiction writer, he wrote a ton of work in the 1930s and the 1940s, mostly science fiction stuff. And then in the 1950s, actually, I believe it was in 1950, he wrote a book called Dianetics. Actually, the full name of the book is Dianetics, the Modern Science of Mental Health. And basically what he had discovered, I use that term loosely, (laughs) he discovered that all human beings have something called a reactive mind. So there's two parts of your mind. There's the analytical side of your mind, which is the normal one, and it, and it solves problems, and it, and it does good things for you. And then there's the other side of your mind, which is called the reactive mind. That stores all of your bad memories, pain, painful memories, times that you were unconscious, sicknesses, and stuff like that. And that was the thing that was causing all of your diseases. So basically, Dianetics is when the mind heals the body. So because you have a cold, or because you have bad eyesight, or because you have cancer, or whatever the ailment could be, you use the technology of Dianetics to cure the problem from your mind, which will then in turn heal the body. So he, so he started this, and it was kind of a fad in the 1950s. And then he realized a couple of years after he wrote Dianetics, he was like, well, you know, the best way to go about this is to start a religion. He would get tax-exempt status, and people like the medical field and like the American Psychiatric Association that were coming after him saying, you guys are ridiculous, Dianetics doesn't actually work. So he was like, well, I'm just going to start a religion and say that it's you know a church, so they can't come after me for medical malpractice or medical fraud. So that's when he started Scientology. So he continued with his Scientology writings, and he's written thousands upon thousands upon thousands of pages and done thousands of hours of lectures on the subject of dealing with Scientology, which has to do not with the mind, like Dianetics did, but Scientology has to do with the soul or the spirit. So he created this whole series of um, practices or things that you do. Scientology really isn't a belief system. It's something that you do. It's um, It's an applied religious philosophy. So Scientologists do things like they go study courses where they learn about what Hubbard wrote, what he says are like the factors for life or improving your relationships and getting along with others. And then they do this thing called auditing. Auditing is the, is the Scientology term for, for basically for therapy. Mm. And Hubbard wrote these very exact and very detailed auditing. He calls them processes or a process. So there's these auditing processes that you do. And the purpose of it, they say, is to help obviously get get rid of your reactive mind and get rid of all of these negative emotions and negative things so that you can live a, a happier and better life. Gosh. And when you put it like that, it doesn't sound so bad necessarily. But in reality, it's much, much more insidious than it than it appears on the surface. So that's the basic that's the basic gist of it in okay. a nutshell. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, that as you're saying that, I, I'm thinking to myself, that's actually not too bad of an idea. I mean, it's not, it's not. And they want, and they always say like, well, we want to, we want to help people. We want to help people, you know, do better in life. And their whole purpose is to save the planet or save the humans on this planet. Cause if once they get enough Scientologists into Scientology and up the Scientology levels, 
eventually they say that there would be no more wars, no more criminality, no more insanity. Everything will be nice and shiny and happy and wonderful. And, and the people who oppose them, they say, well, these are the purposes of Scientology. How could you argue with that? Do you not want a world without, without criminality and without war? So it's, 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 a, it's, it's a pretty sick system that they have going yeah right and again and we'll get deeper into like the whole auditing process and um kind of the almost hijacking of hubbard's original intent for all this uh Mm -hmm. but this is really interesting when i first moved to new york joey i um I flyered on the streets of Times Square for like two and a half years. So I literally was out there eight hours a day handing out flyers to Broadway shows, comedy clubs, restaurants. Sure. Whatever they wanted me to do, I was out there. I loved the job. I honestly did. Yeah. Um, it was like the best paying job I ever had because what idiot would stand outside 50 hours a week handing out flyers? <laughs> But what was really interesting is I met a guy while I was out there and we actually became like pretty close, like really good friends. Mm-hmm. And we we talked a lot about our family together and like our our relationship problems or what have you. And it was cool mm-hmm. to like go to work and have someone that camaraderie, like he was doing his thing. I was doing mine, handing out flyers and he was handing out something else. And it actually took me a while to realize uh, he was a oh, Scientologist boy. and he was handing yeah. out these. Uh, flyers to see a free movie at the yep. um, the Manhattan Church of Scientology. And what was really interesting is he and I were close and I, I kind of like watched the people that he would approach and uh, I noticed trends in like the demographics of the people that he would stop and get to go watch this free movie. And at that time, I didn't really know what Scientology was. I didn't know how the whole intricate system to everything. I'm like, oh, that's, you know, whatever. You know, he's just trying to get people to go to his church. Cool. Um, sure, yeah. So, but yeah, I noticed these patterns of like the the people that he would get to do it. And it, it always sort of seemed to be the same. So I wanted to ask you, do you know... For, like, these type of people, the recruiters on the streets, is there, like, a protocol for who they try to recruit? Is there, like, yeah. oh, some yeah. grand way to get certain people into this religion? Yeah. Well, um, first of all, the the job title of those people that stand out on the streets, they do that here. There's that big Scientology blue building, the big one that's blue, on Sunset yep. Boulevard. Yeah, the big blue they have a ton of people out there that are handing out flyers and they're trying to get you to take their stupid personality test or mm-hmm. come in and see the movie. Those guys, their job title is called a body router. They literally are instructed to take people's bodies and bring them in because the statistic in Scientology, when a new person comes in the door to take a course or to get auditing, it's called bodies in the shop. So <laughs> okay. the body, so the, so the body routers, that's their entire job. And, um, they definitely go for a very specific type of person. And in Scientology, Hubbard once said that Scientology's purpose is to make the able more able. So they don't want someone who isn't able. Basically, what that means is that they want someone who looks like they have money. They want someone that looks like they might be affluent, someone that looks like they've got their shit together. They don't want to deal with people who are mentally ill. They don't want to deal with people who look like they're poor um so that is sort of the thing that they're looking for they're looking for the for able-bodied people that can come in and i think that that the reason for that is because they don't want to have any problems with you know someone coming in and having a psychotic break which has happened 
or people who are sick or dying or, or uh, someone who doesn't have money, there's no purpose for them to do Scientology because if they can't pay for the courses, they don't want them. Right. At all. And we'll get to that, the paying part for sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, that's a huge part. Mentioning uh, mental illness, didn't something just happen uh, like this yeah. week? Yeah. Something happened at the at the at, at the Church of Scientology down in Inglewood, okay. um, which which incidentally my dad paid for, uh, <laughs> and we can and we and we can talk about that later. Sure. But I, I I guess some guy from 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 the rumors that I've been hearing from some of my other ex Scientology friends, I guess this person was a parishioner. He was actually taking courses at the Scientology Church in Inglewood. Okay. He pulled up in his he pulled up in his Bentley wielded a sword of some kind and then i don't know how it happened but like an officer got shot in the arm or shot in the hand or something and they ended up killing i think they shot and killed the guy with the sword right that's so what i heard yeah we're sort of waiting to hear what happens but a couple of months ago there was a stabbing at a church of scientology down in australia and the church was quick to was was uh quick to respond to that and say that it was a non-Scientology person that was crazy that they sort of tried to pin it on Leah Remini and her show. Mm. They were basically saying that Leah, that Leah Remini's show was spreading all of this hate and religious bigotry. So that caused the person to come in and stab uh, a, a, a non-Scientologist to come in and stab a Scientology member. I see. But the church has been, church has been very silent about the thing that happened in Inglewood just a few days ago. So I'm pretty sure that it was one of their own yeah. that had the sword. That that's what I'm thinking too, especially the whole sword thing. I mean, isn't there some sort of connection to like to Hubbard and like swords and everything? Excalibur or something like that? <laughs> well, the Excalibur I think was that was the name of a story that he wrote a very, very long time ago. I don't know what the sword represents. Okay. I mean uh, I might be getting a bit too conspiracy theory. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but also I mean like the Sea Org the Sea Organization members, the those are the guys the, those are the guys that signed the billionaire contracts and they wear the naval style uniforms. The mm -hmm. sword is a very, you know, powerful symbol, you know, military wise. And I think that for the, you know, when they get all dressed up in their sea organization uniforms, some of them have little swords or flags or something. I don't know. Maybe that has something to do with it. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? We, we may never know. <laughs> Church seems right. to be pretty good at uh, keeping people quiet. As we'll get to as well. For now. Yep, For now. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting because that, that really demystifies like the whole body recruitment thing. That that was interesting. And with that guy yeah. that I that I knew, I noticed as time went on, like he became more distant with me um, and stopped talking about his personal life. And then there came one day where he literally told me, I can't talk to you anymore. He said that yeah. to me and I was really hurt because like I confided a lot in this dude. And um, yeah. I respected his beliefs. He respected mine. And then he just disappeared. I never saw yeah. him again. Haven't seen him since. Well, he probably got into ethics trouble. And that happens a lot. If you do something wrong in Scientology, you get sent to ethics. And they basically, they have to try to fix you. Mm -hmm. Or they have to try to correct you for whatever it is that you did wrong. Gotcha. So they probably pulled him back in because he did something or he, or he said something. Or maybe he was having doubts about Scientology or doubts about staying in Scientology. And they do not like that at all. Mm -hmm. And what they have is they have this thing called a security check, which is basically their nice way of putting a, a, a what it really is, is a um, interrogation. 
they put you in a little room and they hook you up to the e-meter. That's that little machine that they use. It's kind of like a lie detector. And they grill you for hours and hours and hours and ask you questions like, what have you done? Do you have evil intentions against the Church of Scientology? Do you have evil intentions against David Miscavige? Have you uh, ha- have you done something that you don't want to have fi- found out about? Like for hours and hours and hours, and they make you confess all of your crimes. Oh my god, that sounds horrible. So, oh, it's horrible. I, I've I've had <laughs> my share of security checking for uh, thousands yeah. and thousands of hours over over a very long period of time. Of course, you know because I'm always getting in trouble for something. <laughs> I'm always saying I'm always saying the wrong thing or I'm always doing the wrong thing. It's like, oh, Joey's got to go in for sec checking. Okay. Well, that we seems again. to be very common in the religion, Joey. I mean, you hear all the time, like it's a religion of snitchers. You know, everyone's it's, out for themselves. It's com- it's it's completely a a a snitching environment. It's it's um that's how they keep control over people because you're not allowed to say anything negative about Scientology. You're not allowed to say anything negative about other Scientologists. I mean, I'll tell you a quick story. When I was a kid, I did a lot of my uh, Scientology training very early in life. I started at the age of 13, which is very unusual. It doesn't happen very often. But, of course, my parents being the huge Scientologists that they were. Anyway, so when I started my training, I was at the Celebrity Center. And there was this one uh, executive woman that was working there. And she was trying to convince me to – basically quit school and come to, and come do my training for at celebrity center full time. I said, listen, I'm sorry, but I have to go to school during the day. And then I'll, I come to celebrity center, you know, in the late afternoon and I study into the evening. And she said to me, she was like, Joey trying to convince me, this is the, this is the greatest thing that, that you can do. School is for idiots. And like, you're, you're, you're not a regular person. You're a superhuman being. And and I told her, I'm like, I'm not going to stop going to school. I actually enjoy going to my school. So basically she said, well, you know what, Joey? You can just go fuck yourself and go jump off the top of Celebrity Center. And they had a balcony up there. She said, go up to the sixth floor balcony and just jump off because you, you may as well kill yourself. Jesus. So I was really upset by that whole thing. And then another person came to me a few days later and they saw that I was upset. And they were like, what's the matter? I said, oh, well, this, this executive, I said her name. And she told me to go kill myself. I'm really, really upset. They pulled me into a security check because I was being critical of her because she was because she was an executive at Celebrity Center. Okay. I'm not allowed to say anything bad to her, even though what she said to me was 100% wrong, and but it was also 100% true. But because I was saying a negative thing about a senior C organization member, they pulled me into an interrogation and said and asked me. What did I do wrong? What are my crimes? Wow. Yeah. So that's the that's the that's the way that they control people. Everybody's everybody's snitching on on everybody else. And if you and you learn, I learned really quickly. If you say anything negative about something or somebody else in Scientology, then I knew that I myself would get in trouble. So you learn to just basically shut up and okay. not say anything, even though if something wrong happened or if you know that it's wrong. It's all about control. I, I totally, it, it's, it becomes more clear, like the more stories you hear, but, um, okay. So mm-hmm. you were one of like the youngest, uh, like you said, what, what, what were they auditors? Is that correct, Joey? With yeah. 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 So, yeah. So, pe- so people who, um, deliver the Scientology auditing, they call them auditors. So okay. I was trained to be a Scientology auditor. So I was the one on the opposite side of the e-meter. So like I would be the one 
that would be giving the people the Scientology auditing processes, okay. essentially, and, and and helping them go up. And then eventually what I did was is that when you get into the confidential levels of Scientology, they call those the OT levels. Mm-hmm. I yeah, was we'll the one that. that was – yeah, yeah. So, um, so in the beginning, I was trained to be an auditor at a very young age. I started, like I said, when I was thirteen. And and this, you said going up. Now, this is what I assume is the spiritual bridge. Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's the so it's the Scientology. It's called the bridge to total freedom. <laughs> yeah. So everybody everybody starts at the bottom, and then step by step, you do these certain levels, and you go starting from the bottom. The first thing that you do is the um, it's this thing called the purification rundown. That's the thing where you sit in a sauna for five hours a day and take heavy, heavy doses of um, uh, vitamins and particularly a vitamin called niacin. And Hubbard believed that like the first thing you have to do when you step onto the bridge to total freedom is you have to flush all of the drugs and the alcohol and the poisons out of your body. And he believed that a a heavy diet of uh, multivitamins and niacin and sitting in a sauna, you sweat out the toxins and the drugs that are stored in the fat cells of your body. Okay. Which has been scientifically proven to be horseshit, but <laughs> Scientologists still do it. They I was going to say, I, I could actually see that working in some ways, but well, they... you know, I did the, I did the purification rundown twice. And the only thing that I can say about it is that I lost a bunch of weight, Okay, you know, from sitting in a sauna for, you know, for five hours a day, I felt a little healthier, <laughs> but I wouldn't recommend taking that much niacin. I mean, literally 5,000 milligrams of niacin per day. Right. I, mean, I assume it's that just, can't be good for you. No. I think that would destroy somebody's liver if they had like a slight liver problem, right. I would think. Yeah. So anyway. Wow. So yeah. So so you, so you I was the auditor. I was the person that was taking people up the bridge from like level to level to level to level. And how many levels are there like total? So from the beginning of the bridge to the middle part, which is where you reach a level called clear. I'm sure people are very familiar with the clear thing. Right. Going through. That's one, yep. two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, like eight or nine levels to, to, to clear. And then after clear, then you get to the OT levels. And right now it goes OT1 through OT8. On the bridge, it does go all the way up to OT15, but at the moment, OT8 is the highest you can go. They haven't actually released OT9 and above yet. I think that they don't even exist, and I think it's just a carrot that they're dangling in front of all these other Scientologists to to try to keep them on board. I see, yeah. But who knows? Who knows what Hubbard wrote in the late 80s before he died? Who knows? Right. Yeah, we may never know. Um, Yeah, we probably won't. Some people think they're... uh... The secrets lie underground, but we'll get to that too. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so you, what level did you personally get to, Joey? And um, yeah, what, uh, what was what was what was that like when you got to that level? So I got to OT three, and OT three is like the big Kahuna in Scientology because on OT three, that's when you discover basically um, Scientology's creation story. The story about Xenu, the galactic overlord of the of the galactic confederation and the horrible things that he did 75 million years ago. <laughs> yep, I knew um, we had to get there, man. This is a UFO yeah. podcast. So. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's like so now. So okay, so now we can talk about aliens. Let's do. So it. so when you're doing your auditing at the beginning part of the bridge to total freedom, you don't know anything about this. You know what the OT levels are, but they're so confidential. They keep those materials. It's like going into Fort Knox. It's like in a special building behind security locked doors. 
the materials themselves are in these special packets and they're kept in like these giant gun safes. Okay. And they're plugged into like an electronic, um, I don't know what you call it, but they're plugged into the safe. And when I did the course, they took it out of the safe, they unplugged it, and then you take it to your little table so you can sit down and read it. And there's a plug on the table and you have 30 seconds to get it from the safe to the table. Otherwise, the alarms go off and the doors shut and security comes running in. I mean, they take this shit very, very seriously. Wow, yeah. So when you're going up the bridge, you have no idea what's on these levels. I didn't, at least. And, um, you know, you see this stuff going on. You're like, wow, this stuff must be heavy. Like, if they're protecting it this much, it must be, like, serious. And they put you through the ringer. You have to get tons of security checking to make sure that you're you're safe to, I mean, safe under their eyes to actually read the materials. And then when you finally read them, I was 18 when I did it, and I was so brainwashed into it. I was so indoctrinated. I had pretty much no choice but to believe all the shit that I read in it. Now, you know, I think it's completely ridiculous. But at at the time, I actually really, truly believed that 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 was the answer. I was like, oh, okay. I was I was nothing. It it was nothing like it that I had ever expected to to do it. And then the thing is, is that once you read it, then you have to go in session and you have to do the auditing to fix the whole thing of what he said was the problem was. And it's a very complicated, very right. convoluted it, it is. thing. Um, so that's interesting because, you know, we've mm-hmm. heard when people get to the the creation story to OT3 yeah. that uh, people like Leah, she she was like, oh, my God, this is such bullshit. And then right. there's someone like you who was like, OK, I'm going to run with this. Like, right. you know, every religion has like a mythos or a mythology to it. I, yeah. I guess this is ours. So this is ours. Is that kind of what you went with when this whole story of Xenu, which I would love if you could like kind of. Tell us oh, about, yeah, sure. if you don't mind, yeah, yeah. this whole story of Xenu and the Thetans yeah. and, yeah. oh, God, I know it's very convoluted, <laughs> but again, it is. we're a UFO podcast, we're used to that. Yeah, exactly. So, and also, too, by, by the way, the thing with Leah, I know yeah. that she first thought that it was bullshit, but again, she couldn't say anything because, again, you're not supposed to say anything negative, you're not supposed to disagree. And the OT3 materials, most of them are in Hubbard's handwriting. They are mm. non-disputable. And um, and by the way, all of the OT3 materials, you can find it on the Internet now in his handwriting. So they're not really that big of a secret anymore. But Scientology still pretends that they don't exist anywhere else outside of the outside of the confines of Fort Knox. Um, But, yeah, no, that's what I sort of believed. I was like, oh, well, if 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 L. Ron Hubbard says that it is, then it is must be true Mm -hmm. because that's the thing that you were taught and you were indoctrinated into believing you can't dispute anything that he says. What's written is what's true. If he wrote it, then it must be true. Okay. He could have told you whatever he wanted to in the world, and you it. would have had to have. And that, and that, and that was it. And if you disputed it, or if you had a problem with it, then you would go back to ethics, and nobody wants to do that. So, of course, what do you do? You keep your mouth shut. So, what is so, the creation story? <laughs> okay. Do you enjoy true stories of the supernatural from the people who experienced it? Well, then you might like my show, Jim Harold's Campfire. Hi, I'm Jim, and we've been doing the show since 2009. And we talk about ghosts, cryptic creatures, UFOs, head scratchers, you name it. And you tune in and you might hear a story like this one. And as he was driving home, he encountered 
a shadow person who seemed to be dressed like a monk. I know that sounds very strange, um, but it was a solid black form and it was wearing a hooded cloak tied at the waist with the cloak up and it had glowing red eyes. He sees this thing coming out of a really teeny abandoned cemetery If you haven't tuned in, I hope you'll check us out. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are heard. It's Jim Harold's Campfire, and you can find it at jimherald.com. Thanks so much, and stay spooky. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So basically what happened is, is that 75 million years ago, Earth is part of a galactic confederation of planets. And our planet, the original name for Earth is called Tijiak. And Tijiak Earth has been sort of a dumping ground for millions and millions and millions of years. This is like the really, like the shittiest planet in the, in the whole confederation. I think he said there were 76 or 77 planets or something. Mm-hmm. So there was a huge overpopulation problem with most of the other planets. So what Xenu decided to do is he decided to fix the population problem. He gathered up billions and billions of people, aliens, and uh, put them in these spaceships that he said looked like DC-8 airplanes, except they had rocket engines on them and not propellers. Nice. And so billions of of these people, aliens, you know, aliens from different types of bodies and things like that, different types of creatures, brought them all to Earth, blew them up in volcanoes, and then trapped them all. So now, remember, Scientology's basic belief is that you are not your body. You are a, a soul. You are a spiritual being. And this, the word that Scientology uses for spirit is called a thetan. So you're, so you're a thetan. You have a body and you have a mind. Those are the, those are the three different parts of man. So we, So – all of these people that he brought to Earth and put them on the different volcanoes across Earth and blew them up with H-bombs, their bodies are dead, but the Thetans are still there. Their souls are still there. So he tr- figured out a way to trap all of these Thetans, and basically what he did is he 
boxed them up in boxes and compacted them to solve the overpopulation problem. So now as a, re- as a result of that incident that happened 75 million years ago, everybody walking on this planet today, we are all composite creatures. Okay. So you, Ryan, have hundreds of thousands of thetans that are stuck to you and stuck to your body. I knew it. That are right. So every single person walking around is not just one thetan. It's not just one soul. You have hundreds of thousands of thetans that are stuck to you. So when you learn this in Scientology, that's the first thing you read is Hubbard tells you the whole story. It's like Xenu came in and he did all this stuff and you know, it's a very long and complicated process. I think that whole uh, sequence of events where he blew them up in the volcanoes and stuff, it lasted for like months or something like okay. that. I can imagine it's a very complicated process. Oh, yeah. So then, so then once you read that, then you go, okay, so now that I know that there's millions of people or hundreds of thousands of people that are stuck to me, what do I do? Hubbard had a solution for everything. You audit them. You have to audit each of the individual souls. This is how you handle it. So using basic Scientology technology, you go through one by one throughout your entire body and and around your body to find each of these thetans and you talk to them, figure out what their problem is and get them to leave by using basic Scientology processes. That, That in itself takes a very long time. So starting from OT3, all the way up through OT7, that's the only thing that you're doing is you're, is you're auditing these thetans okay. that are stuck to you to get them to leave. And what Hubbard said was is that each of these thetans that are stuck to you are negative emotions and pains and diseases and all of these other things that he originally was talking about in Dianetics. He's like, oh, well, the whole reason why people get sick is because of the reactive mind. And then as the years went on, he was like, actually, it's not true. It's, be- it's because of these thetans that are stuck to you. So the more thetans you get rid of, it's so insane when I say it, like, like whenever I tell the story. <laughs> yeah. Um, so basically, he was saying the more you audit these thetans and the more th- thetans that you get rid of off of yourself, the happier you'll be, the less problems you'll have and all this other stuff. So that's the, in a nutshell, that's the basic gist of what you learn and what you do on OT3. Okay. Ooh, mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you. That was, I mean, it, it sounds very convoluted, but it actually like, when you hear it like that, I'm like, okay. So he, he basically took his original thoughts and ideas and applied this very science fiction esque slant to it all, which makes yes. sense. So, I mean, yes. so body things, they can, yes. they're all over yes. you. You're, you're trying to get rid of them through auditing. Yes. So do they, once they're off of you, do they mm-hmm. go to someone else or can they come back? How does that all work? I will read you the exact thing that Hubbard wrote about that. Oh, okay. um, in one of the in, in, in one of the policies that he wrote on the on the OT3 course, he says, body thetans are just thetans that are stuck to you. When you get rid of one, he goes off and possibly squares around, picks up another body or admires daisies. So basically what he's saying there is, is that they can basically do whatever they want. I see. Because they've been stuck to you for 75 million years. This is the first time that they're actually like on their own and a single Phaeton. Mm-hmm. So he could go and find another body because, you know, Scientologists believe in past lives. And we've all lived, you know, millions upon millions upon millions of lifetimes and right. all this other crap. So he could go pick up another body. He could go sniff the daisies. He can basically do whatever they want. 
So yeah. it, it's it's almost like a threat that it could return if it wants to, and the cycle just keeps going in a way. It it could be, but at but at the same time, Hubbard said that like a regular Thetan, if you if you do Scientology auditing on someone, you know, it could be you or it could be me. And it's supposed to make them better. It's the same thing with a body thing. One of the guys that are stuck to you. I see. So if you audit them, so if you audit them on Scientology, it's the same thing. They're going to be a little bit better than they were before, and they're going to hopefully not get back into that vicious cycle all over again. Okay. So Joey, being that you were like one of the prime auditors, um, I've heard rumors that auditing sessions are recorded. Is this true? If so, why were yes. they being recorded? Yes, absolutely. Well. That's terrifying. It really is terrifying because when you're getting auditing, especially during like the security checking, you're telling these guys, as they did to me, they're they're, they're telling me their deepest, darkest secrets. Right. Like in full detail, their most personal thoughts, really embarrassing things that they've done, like really like secretive stuff. And the reason why that they say that they do all the uh, recordings of everything is for the purpose of the auditor. So like when I used to audit um, at the big blue at the big blue buildings down on Sunset Boulevard, every single time that I would go into one of the little auditing rooms to, to take someone in session, everything was recorded. So then the person who's in charge of the auditing, they call them the case supervisor. They have a little look in system where they can they have a TV in their office and they look in on everybody's sessions. They can just kind of pop in, you know, by pressing a button. They say it's for the purpose of correcting the auditor if the auditor made a mistake, which is true because sometimes he, like I would do something that was technically not correct mm-hmm. and they would say like, "Oh, Joey, the session that you did yesterday, I watched the video and you and you forgot to do this, you or you forgot to do that." And then I would be sent to correction. But the real reason that they want to do it is so that they have a record of everything that the person ever says. Because they auditors write everything down. Uh, whenever you go into a session, you're supposed to write down everything that you do and everything that the patient says. But it's mostly shorthand. Mm-hmm. But if you have it on video and if you have a sound recording of it, there's no dispute as to what happened and what they said. Because the auditor can write down anything that they want. And if there wasn't a video, then nobody would really ever know. That's a good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, but this was the person being audited. They were not aware Right, that this is being monitored Correct. or recorded. Correct. Okay. Right. See, that to but, me, it, it just it it's making me envision all these times I went to confession in my yes. Roman Catholic Church, and I did mm-hmm. tell them things that nobody on this earth would know, and that terrifies me to think that whoa, my religion could have been doing the same thing. No, and really embarrassing shit too. It's like people told me some really really personal thing, and the other thing too is is that um, over the years. Since I have left Scientology, a lot of the cameras, because I I still talk to people that are still in Scientology. They're just kind of laying low under the radar. They would never speak out about it because they're obviously afraid of losing their family or friends. Mm -hmm. But they've called me and told me things like now the camp, because before the cameras, you could kind of see them and you sort of knew that they were there. But now they're hidden. Mm -hmm. Like they literally hide cameras in like, uh, I think at the, at the, at the, um, the Church of Scientology, the the one that's in Florida, the one in Clearwater, the huge one, mm-hmm. they hide they hide the cameras behind um, a, a photo frame on the wall, and there's a microphone. It's hidden underneath the table. Back in the day, when I was doing my auditing in the mid '90s, 
like there was a full on camera there that we could that 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 everybody could see. There was okay. no question about it. But now it's completely hidden. Oh, well, you know, we don't want to distract the we don't want to distract the patient, you know, while they're while, while they're getting their auditing. But it's like if you're a new Scientologist or if you had no or if you have no auditor training whatsoever, you wouldn't know that the thing was being recorded at right, all. Right. So Right. And it's scary. It's it very, is scary. It's very scary. And, you know, we kind of assume why they were doing that when when someone does decide to try to leave the church. You know, you have oh, yeah. so much well, shit on this, these people. They have so much dirt on them. Yeah. So much, so much dirt on them. I, I want to get and, to that later on yeah. with some of the yeah, celebrity yeah, sure. members, but but yeah. Okay, no. yeah. <laughs> well, we'll save that for the second part. But, okay, so... The creation story. So, Xenu, yes. is there anything else within Scientology that involves UFOs or aliens, or is this kind of the one mythology that Scientology stands by? There's actually a lot, a lot more. Really? And okay. Yeah, you, you learn about, because remember in Scientology, you learn very, very early on of Hubbard's concept of, of thetans and, you, you know, you yourself are, are a, a thetan and you have past lives, stuff like that. And then there's a particular, there's a particular series of books in Scientology. They're called the Research and Discovery Volume mm-hmm. books. It's like, I, I think it's a volume of like seven or eight of them. There are uh, transcripts of a bunch of lectures that Hubbard did in the early 1950s and going into like 1960-something. Where he talks about there's um, a lecture I forget the name of it but I but I remember very very vividly what he was talking about and you know he's just casually giving a lecture to people and he's like oh well you know because he believed that he could leave his body and you know travel to different places and things like that you know kind of like teleportation and things like that or um, uh, so he was talking about leaving his body. And he was like, oh, well, you know, yesterday I went up to the Van Allen belt and I was just sitting there just looking at the stars and stuff like that. The Van Allen belt is that it's that layer of radiation that surrounds Earth, I think oh, is what it is. OK, OK. Um, and so he was talking about, yeah, I'm, I was sitting up at the Van Allen belt and like, God, do you guys have any idea how warm it is up in space? It was really, really weird. And then he was telling the story and like he and then he had had a fleeting thought of like how he would like to go to Mars. And then he like popped like immediately popped them went straight to a, a um, an alien army base on Mars. And so so these are things that he said in his lectures. So when you're a kid or when you're a young person in Scientology, reading about these stories and like he was talking about this thing called the um, the Fifth Invader Forces and there are a, 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 an army of aliens that had a base on Mars. And apparently what he told, I don't remember the exact story, but basically what he said was is that these different waves of these alien forces, they would take the criminals and they would take the bad people from other planets and they would dump them on Earth. Mm-hmm. So he called Earth like basically a prison for the whole galaxy. And and uh, we were sort of like the last dumping ground for people that they were trying to re- – the uh, criminals that they were trying to rehabilitate on other planets and things like that. Interesting. So, so it's like Australia almost. <laughs> almost, yeah. So Earth is like the galaxy's Australia. But – Again, none of that stuff is confidential. You can go into into <clears throat> excuse me. You can go into any church of Scientology and read about the um, the Fifth Invader forces, and then he and then the and, and then the thing about the Van Allen belt. He talks about having bodies in pond where you have like a 
uh, a twin or an exact copy of a body, but it's an alien body on a very, very distant planet. You can go in and read all that stuff. He doesn't hide it. You take pre-clear after pre-clear after pre-clear after pre-clear. You put them on e-meters. You try to run them. You try to do this. You try to do that straight on through. And you find in each and every case, you're finding the phenomenon of entities, bodies in pawn, communications, spaceships, other planets, locations, beingness in other states, and all of this, and you find this to be a consistent condition, you have fulfilled this definition of the messed universe. The thing you don't learn about are the body thetans in Xenu. Those you don't learn until OT3. I see. See, okay. But there's a lot of stuff about aliens and UFOs and wow. Mars bases and things like that. And it's and it's. I thought it was really cool when I was a kid. I was like, oh, this is so cool. I want to leave my body and like just pop up to the pop up to the Mars base totally. and things like that. You know, I was like, this is awesome, dude. I mean, I was just gonna say <laughs> that as a as a person interested in all this stuff since a very yeah. early age, I would have eaten that shit up, knowing like this oh was actually part of like the head of my religion. That that yeah. would have like I would have been a Scientologist till the day I died, knowing that I could yeah. possibly go to Mars. And, and I then, will be honest with you, yeah. there are people in the UFO community right now touting those same stories that they worked on a base on Mars and Obama yeah. was there with them and they had to fight this <laughs> intergalactic. I'm not kidding you. And people actually believe this stuff. So when I hear That's you talking amazing. about Xenu and, and the Thetans and these stories of, you know, alien doppelgangers, it sounds yeah. crazy to the layman person, but these are stories I hear every single day from people who claim that this actually happened. So wow. there's a lot of interconnectedness between Scientology and the UFO field, obviously. So obviously. this is why I'm so happy to, <laughs> to hear you telling me all this it's 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 crazy it doesn't sound it's as crazy. crazy as you think well and then and then also the other thing that i was going to say too is that when i was auditing people you know most of the time we encourage the patient to go into a past life to talk about you know whatever they want to talk about it's usually like some sort of a traumatic thing that happened so like in scientology there's this there's this concept of like if you had something bad happen to you like you like i was auditing someone and they were like oh i got into a car accident the other day and then, you know, we talk about that and we go over it and talk about the pain and, you know, like, what did the car smell like? What did the – and we try to get details of it because Hubbard believed that if you examine something in very, very close detail, you kind of get a um, – you kind of get a relief from the negativity of it. And then you go earlier. Okay, when was an earlier similar time you got into a car accident? And we would go back and we would go back and we would go back. And eventually, people would go back into their past lives. So I'd say like – Okay, when was an earlier similar time you got into a car accident? Oh, well, you know, in the in the 1850s, I was in a woman's body and we were in a buggy accident. Okay, tell me about an earlier similar and we would go back really far wow. to the point where they to the point where they would say something like, you know, 74 billion years ago, I was on this weird planet and we were like these these weird like alien bodies and i remember we were in this some sort of like a roundish vehicle and it like crashed into a an asteroid when we were flying through space or something like that so i would hear these stories all the time they were people's personal stories okay obviously interpretations of what they thought they did in a past life but it's like it was a very it was a very uh uh, uh alien and ufo sort of based concept what was that um before ot3 yeah 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 because okay. when you 
because before you do the OT levels, you're required to be able to easily go into uh, your past life incidents. Oh, okay, okay. Because by the time you get all of the earlier auditing before you get to clear, you would have already gone, you know, past life in your auditing many, many, many times. Gotcha. It's interesting that you would hear those stories before they learned, like, the creation story, you know? Right, right. But again, all of the earlier works when Hubbard talked about, you know, like, in just sort of, like, basic Scientology book, there was a book um, that they stopped publishing a couple of years ago. I don't know why. It's a book called Have You Lived Before This Life? And Mm. it's stories of people who talked about when they went, you know, back in past lives and stuff like that. So it's like... it. It's a very common concept for early on Scientology people who who are studying this stuff. Okay. So they introduced the concept of going past lives. And then, of course, he talks about aliens and stuff in the non-confidential lectures. So you get kind of those ideas stuck in your head. And then eventually when you get, you know, start going up the bridge and start getting more and more audited, and you're like, okay, this is a regular thing now. Okay, gotcha. So mm-hmm. there was uh, there could be some influence early on before even reaching the creation story. Yeah. A lot. Okay. A lot. So, okay. So, um, during your OT three level, you decided to become a member of the Sea Org. And so could you, I know it's tough, man. I know. Uh, Stupid. No, it was stupid. (laughs) Okay. Okay. You you said it. I didn't. But again, like (laughs) this, this is your life and this is the navigation you took having been Mm -hmm. born into this. So it Mm -hmm. might sound stupid to a lot of people, but this was your life. So could you explain to us what the Sea Org is, how it's different from just, you know, being a regular Scientology member and what sort of like the day-to-day experience was in the Sea Org? Okay. Okay. So the Sea Org. The Sea Organization was developed by Hubbard in 1967 or 1968, I think. And what he did is he got together a group of his most hardcore Scientologists and set out on the ocean. So that the, the sea, that's why they call it the Sea Org. Mm-hmm. So he created his own little personal navy on this boat and they sailed around the caribbean and they sailed around the atlantic area for probably about a decade i think and basically what what the sea org is is that it's for it's it's the it's the clergy of scientology okay so if you were going to join the priesthood or if you were going to become a nun it's sort of the same thing as join like you would be joining the highest ranks of scientology and as part of your commitment to the Sea Org, you're supposed to sign a contract for one billion years. So in the Sea Org, you're, the concept is, is that you work in the Sea Org and you dedicate your entire life to Scientology and many other future lifetimes. Okay. And he says it very, very clearly. He, he's like, when you die, you have a 21-year break or a 21-year leave of absence from the Sea Org. And then when you go and you pick up a new body – and that body gets to grow up a, a little bit after 21 years, you're supposed to come back. Another another interesting thing about the Sea Org, people that don't normally know about this, is that there's a little bit of an alien twist to it, too. Ooh, okay. Hubbard, Hubbard, Hubbard believed that because I told you before that Earth was a dumping ground for, like, the shittiest people in the galaxy. Prison planet, yeah. The prison planet. Hubbard believed that most of the Sea Org members that ended up joining the Sea Org and did very well, they were what he called the loyal officers. So the loyal officers are the ones that defeated Xenu back in back in the day, seventy five million years ago. Ooh, okay, it's so all connected they, now. <laughs> yes, correct. So all of the people who were running the Galactic Confederation, they didn't like Xenu, and he did this really horrible thing, and he killed a bunch of people. So they ended up figuring it out, and they captured him. 
So those he called them the loyal officers. So he believed, and he told Seer members this that they were the that they were the reincarnated loyal officers. So we were like, oh my god, I feel like a like a like a like a like a king in a castle. I'm like the the creme de la creme of the, of the <laughs> of the entire galaxy. It's crazy. So yeah, so that's what the Sea Org is: is you sign a billion year contract and you work, live, and sleep and eat on Scientology property, twenty four seven. You don't get any days off. You barely get time off to see your family or like take time to, you know, for anything. And you pretty much just slave away there for as un, until you die or until you decide to leave. Okay, so slave away. So like what what was like a typical day in the Sea Org then for you? So for me, um, when I was an auditor, uh, the auditors and the and the people who actually deliver the courses, they have a little bit of an easier schedule as opposed to the people that just do like the office work or like the, the administration management stuff. So it was usually wake up at about 6.30 or 7 a.m., eat breakfast if you have time. You have to get to um, your morning meeting. They call it a muster because that's a military term. It's like a muster where you stand in a line and you know, they do like a little roll call thing. Uh, by 8 a.m. or 8.30, you're there and you do your morning meetings and like your your uh, orders of the day are given. And then for me as an auditor, you go into the, uh, in, in, into the area where you do the auditing and you audit all day long. You take a 30-minute break for lunch, a 30-minute break for dinner, a couple more meetings and possibly some more meetings at night. And then you go to bed by 11.30 or midnight if you're lucky. So this was uh, all day go, long. So you weren't going to school or anything during all this? No, no. no. Well, by that time, because when I had joined the Sea Org, I was, I was 18 or 19. I had already graduated high okay, school. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, you. I use that term graduated loosely because I went to a Scientology-run school, which was not a uh, accredited school. So I technically didn't actually graduate high school. Oh, okay. So they had, they had their own educational system. They did. Okay. They did. But anyway, so back to the Sea Org. And then so uh, you get very, very little sleep at night. You're working all day, seven days a week for uh, 50 bucks a week. But all of your room and board is paid for. The food was shitty. Where I lived in the dormitories in that big blue building, it's shared college-style dormitories, except I would kind of compare it to prison-style dormitory. Because wow. um, it's like it's it it's like it's like 15 to 25 people per per room in triple in triple bunk beds. The oh building God. is filthy. There's one bathroom on every single floor. I mean, I'm sure they've renovated it by now, but when I was there, there was one bathroom on the floor that I lived. I lived on the seventh floor of the main building, the one that has the actual Scientology sign on it. Okay, okay. There was one bathroom for the entire seventh floor and only two shower stalls. So every morning, it would be like I'd have to wait like 30 or 40 minutes just to take a shower if I was lucky. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it was very regimented while you were there as well, like – very very you have to show up for every meeting and every muster if you're late you get sent to ethics if you don't show up you get sent to ethics there's cameras everywhere i remember a friend of mine who uh was in the same working in the same organization with me she and i were kind of kind of best friends at the time and uh every tuesday or when no i'm sorry it was every wednesday for lunch it would be uh chili and cornbread which i thought was disgusting and looked like a pile of shit (laughs) she hit she hated it too so we would try to sneak off of the base to go down the street to wendy's or like go to the place there was a place right up the street called los los burritos and and like go get a burrito i think that's still there it's still there. Yeah, yeah it's still yeah. there. Like right on, it's 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 yeah, it's right on sunset. And we would have to do it without getting caught. 
I was one of the lucky ones because I didn't grow up in the Sea Org like she did. So I had a car. Most Sea mm-hmm. Org members don't have cars. Most Sea members don't have driver's licenses. Most of them don't have bank accounts or anything. But anyway, that's a separate thing. So we, so we would have to sneak <laughs> off and they have cameras everywhere and they have security guards roaming around on bicycles constantly 24-7. Oh, yeah. I've been and down there so a few we, times. Yeah. So we would have to like run to the parking structure and make sure that there were no security guards and she would kind of keep watch and we would have to like run and go grab our food, scarf it down and come back and be on time because we only had a 30 minute window for lunch. Mm-hmm. If it, if we were lucky, sometimes we, sometimes we didn't take a meal break at all because I was still auditing someone. You can't just arbitrarily end the session in the middle of the thing. Right. You have to finish whatever you're doing. And so it was very, it was very, very regimented. And there were pretty much no freedoms to kind of do anything or whatever we want. I think in the four years that I was in the Sea Org, I probably took maybe five or six days off total mm-hmm. in that entire time. Wow. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it was a, it was a pretty shitty time. It was very shitty. <laughs> Okay, so yeah. I, I can only imagine four and a half mm-hmm. years of your life just sort of gone at that point. And you did mention mm-hmm. like your, your whole family were members of Scientology. So mm-hmm. um, were they? Were you like reporting back to them like the state and condition you were in while you were there at all? No, you're not allowed to. Anything okay. that happens in anything that happens in the Sea Org, you're not allowed to talk about outside of the Sea Org because. When you have people who are in Scientology, you can just be a Scientologist and be a regular human. Like, you know, you can have a job and live in your own house and do – but you take Scientology courses and you get Scientology auditing. When you're a Sea Org member, that's that's when you, like, jump onto the ship and, like, work for them full, full time. It's a Hubbard Guidance Center fully representative of the gateway to the top of the bridge. And each of the onboard counseling rooms is the embodiment of technical perfection, down to the last detail. While as for training, it's the course rooms on the main deck and A deck, configured to transport hundreds at a time ever closer to total spiritual freedom. And since this ship is the threshold to the upper levels of Scientology, it's all specifically geared for those on the ascent to the highest states. In all, the Freewind stands at the forefront of a growing worldwide movement towards spiritual advancement, transporting Scientologists to new realms of freedom every day. But they made me sign so many NDAs and, and uh, confidentiality agreements. You're not allowed to talk about anything. I mean, when I, I, was, I was physically beaten when I was in the Sea Org, and I couldn't tell my parents about it. I've had lamps thrown up, th- uh, th- thrown at my face. I had this one... Um, older Sea Org member who was like one of the most senior people on that in, on that in, entire base, she would come up behind me and smack me on the back of my head, open, like open-handed, just be like, why are your statistics down? Because statistics is a, is a huge part of it. I mean, she, and just really horrible, uh, physically and, and verbally abusive. I've seen Sea Org members get into fights. I saw them beat up an old man because he refused to do an all-nighter one night, which happens a lot. Wow. Sierra members stay up all night and do these crazy things because they have to meet their deadlines and they have to do it because if their statistics are down from the previous week, then it's all over. Then they go get sent to ethics and they're punished for it. And this old guy, he was in the Sea Org since Elwin Hubbard started the Sea Org in the 1960s. You know, he's like a 70 year old or 75 year old man. Yeah. And he was exhausted and it was midnight and he wanted to go to bed. And of course, a younger 
much more strong Sea Org member comes up and said, "Don't you dare go to bed." And then he tried to push him out of the way, and then he knocked him in the you know he knocked him in the eye. Wow. And that was a regular that that was a regular everyday occurrence when I was in the Sea Org, and it was and it was horrible. I saw people. Hubbard Hubbard invented this thing called throwing somebody overboard. So when he was on the when he was on the boat in the 1960s, when an auditor screwed up and did something that was technically wrong, he created this overboarding ceremony where they would take the auditor and they would have like a little ceremony on the side deck of the ship and say, you know, I uh, I throw you and your and your mistakes into the ocean deep and when you come out of the water may you arise a free man and free from your mistakes or something like that it was like this weird thing that he used to do so, and they would literally throw people over the side and dump them into the water as like a punishment for screwing up as an auditor so then when i was in the sea or get the big blue base that's not a ship they didn't have an ocean so they would stand people up they would get all of the auditors and all of the technical staff in a group and the person would, who screwed up would stand in front of everybody and say, I screwed up as an auditor. I did this and this and this wrong. And then the ethics officer would spray them with a hose in their full uniform as like a punishment. How demeaning. It, that was, oh, was so demeaning. And I felt so bad for the poor woman because she's like this 50 or 60-year-old woman. She's been in the Sea Org forever. And she has to stand there and be punished in front of all these people. And it was it, it was. It wasn't until many years later that I realized it wasn't just punishment for her. It was because they wanted to just scare the shit out of us. It's not right. for them. It was for us because they, they were like, you see, you see what happens if you fuck up. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's again, coming back to that idea that it's all based on control, like with, through fear, you know, there's yeah. like, there's, it sounds to me like there's very little reward to ever come out of this quote unquote religion. It's all about <laughs> the things you've done wrong. And That's the right. minute you think you've, you've achieved something, they find something else right. that you did wrong. Ugh. That's right. It's frustrating the hell out of me just hearing all this, man. Um, No, no. I mean, it makes me it it, it makes me red in the face when I think about it. I mean, it's it's horrific. The stuff that people had to suffer through this thing, not just me. Like, I feel bad for the other people. Right. And then, you know, you become complacent. And I'm sure like there were times that you had to turn someone in or, or, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. It's just this thing going on in your psyche constantly. Yeah. And, And like you said before, it's like that. It's the it's the snitching culture and we were all complacent okay so snitching culture let's let's definitely Mm -hmm. touch on that how and why did you leave the sea org i know this is probably a tough one but yeah let's go through no 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 it's uh (laughs) it's it's i can i can definitely talk about it now and not and and not be freaked out about it anymore thank god okay um so yeah so uh for those of you who don't know i am gay and uh I hid the fact that I, well, I tried to hide it. It's kind of hard to hide. Um, but I tried to, you know, for years when I was in in Scientology, because Scientology is very homophobic. They do not allow uh, anybody that's openly gay to continue past clear, basically, on the bridge to total freedom. And they think it's an aberration. They think it's an abomination. They think all kinds of things about it. So I was hiding this fact for a very, very long time. And then while I was in the Sea Org, I developed a crush on a on another Seerg member who was also a man, and we had a uh, we had a very emotional relationship. We never really touched each other. We never did anything physically gay, but there was a lot of flirting, and there was a lot of um, of, of you know like secret secret note writings, and and just a very very heavily emotional. And it was 
amazing for me because I had never actually experienced a uh, anything really that gay before. So I was very happy about it, but we both knew that we had to keep it a secret. And then eventually they found out about it because of my mother. My mother snitched on me. Really? So, yes. So when you're in the Sea Org, you're not allowed to have a cell phone. So what did I do? I used to call this other boy. I'm not going to say his name because he – well, I'm not going to say his name. Okay. Totally <laughs> um, fair. So he, no, no, no. So he – so I used my – because luckily I came from a, a, a very wealthy family. And I was one of the lucky Sierra members. I didn't have to worry about, you know, starving and I had a car, blah, blah, blah. But I also had a, uh, a, a prepaid phone card. And this was back in like 96 or 97. No, I'm sorry. It was like 98. And they had pay phones inside of the churches of Scientology. So every couple of days I would call the guy that I had a crush on, but I used my parents' phone card. So one day my mom, I guess she got the bill for the thing and she sent it to the ethics officer. She sent the phone bill to the ethics officer. And was like, hey, you should you should check into Joey and see like he's calling the same number for the last like five months or six months because he he was in Florida at the time he was at the at the uh, the Clearwater Church of Scientology. So I was calling Florida almost the exact same time every single day because it was during our dinner. It was during my uh, lunchtime and during his break time, I think is I think is what it was. Okay. So anyway, so she snitched on me. So then the ethics officer came in and she uh, was like, you're going to get a security check. And then they put me in session. They put me on the e-meter and then they had someone pounding at me for like hours being like, you know, what is this thing? Like, why are you calling blah, blah? Why are you, you know, making these phone calls? So finally I had to confess. And then they did the same thing on Florida. And then that's how I got in trouble. So they found out about the gay situation mm-hmm. and um, they uh, continued to do security checks on me, asking me all kinds of very harsh and very graphic questions, like specifically asking for, you know, the sexual stuff. Like, did you ever have anal sex with such as name? Did you ever have oral sex with such as name did you ever touch so and so and so's name's penis did so and so ever touch your like i mean like really and i kept telling him like no 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 we never touch each other we never touch each other and they didn't believe me so they kept going at it and they kept like screaming at me and uh, trying to get me to confess and then finally after i don't know how long it was it was like two months of that on like an every single day basis and all the all the while they had a security guard watching me 24 7 and I was put into a windowless room on the seventh floor of the main building. And the security guard would sleep in the room with me. But he put his bed against the door at night so that if I tried to escape, I would wake him up. The only time I was allowed to leave the room was to go to the bathroom, which I also had to have an escort to go with me, or to walk across the street to get my security checks. So that lasted for about two months. And then eventually they were like, you are gay. You are uh, uh, not allowed to be in the Sea Org anymore. We're, we're kicking you out. And then they handed me a bill for $40,000 and then <laughs> kicked me out. <laughs> Forty. Th- okay, okay. So they kick you out and then I've heard this is what's called the freeloader debt, right? Yes, exactly. So when you're in the Sea Organization, you get all of your uh, courses, your training, and your auditing for free. What they don't tell you is, is that if you ever decide to leave the Sea Org, they've been keeping track of all of the things that you've done. 
uh, during your stint in the sea in the sea org so even though you take those courses for free they keep a track of everything and if you ever do decide to leave then they hand you a bill and they're like oh by the way you owe us money for all this stuff which of course i think legally is complete bullshit because they can't act it doesn't actually affect your credit or anything like that it's just if you want to ever continue in scientology if you want to be a member in good standing you have to pay your freeloader debt so Mm-hmm. stupid me i i paid it <laughs> well actually my dad paid for it because he made uh my dad uh basically was like you know i'm really pissed off that you left the sea org and i can't believe you like did all these things so you're gonna come work for me in the family business and i'm gonna pay your freeloader debt but you're gonna work it off no was he i mean because he is a prominent member and it has been for life Obviously, yeah. he was he was disappointed, but he was he was the kind of father who would help you out. He was, yeah. And yeah. did he did he know that this was all because uh, you had essentially been forced to come out? Yes, because um, they had the, the uh, sen- some of the senior ethics officers or the senior ethics people had pulled my parents in and uh, uh, had a meeting with them on the side without my knowing about it. Mm. and told them everything they were like so joey did this and joey did that and we're kicking him out and this is why and we're just letting you know because they had to make sure to keep them on board because if they left that that would be a huge meal ticket for them that they would have lost i see and they needed to they needed to keep them happy you know because most of the big donors in scientology can get away with a lot of shit because they donate so much money and this was and this was one of the things where they did not want to um they didn't want to lose them I as, as, as a Scientologist. Yeah. So, so my dad was like, all right, I'm going to fix this. You're going to come work for me at the gallery and you're going to work your way out of it. And, and, uh, I'm, I'm just going to give them the $40,000 and then we'll call it a day. I was like, uh, okay, I guess so. Cool. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So this is, uh, <laughs> you start working for your dad at the gallery and then this is where your story really amps up man (laughs) oh yes it does yes it does and we're gonna cover that in part two that is it for part one of this two-part series breaking the billion-year contract of scientology i hope you'll join me next week to hear all about how joey testified in federal court about what he experienced in the church and the infamous sea org why he finally decided to leave and what life is like on the other side of deprogramming from a brainwashing cult. We'll also talk about the church's new and mysterious leader, answer many listener questions, and so much more. That's next week on Somewhere in the Skies. Please take a few moments to subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever possible. It helps tremendously. For Apple users, Apple Podcasts is always the best option. But for my Android users, I have not forgotten you. Check us out on Pocket Casts, Podcast Addict, Google Play, CastBox, and so much more. We're on Twitter at Somewhere Skies and Instagram at Somewhere Skies Pod. All past episodes, news, articles, and contact information is all at the official website, somewhereintheskies.com. Be sure to check out our merch store at TeePublic and search for the Somewhere in the Skies store. That's TeePublic.com. I'll see you here next week. And remember, keep your feet on the ground, but never stop searching somewhere in the skies.
Somewhere in the Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. To learn more, visit entertainmentonepodcast.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.